0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day.
1: And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello friends, thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you out driving? At home? Elsewhere on your mobile device? Catching the podcast? Listening with family or a friend or two? Well, we're moving along in our series, Faith's Fundamentals, Building a Solid Belief System. The opening four segments were devoted to giving us some handles on the nature of God. Here we delved into challenging areas, attempting to unpack just how the Bible reveals the triune God to us in both the Old and New Testaments. And in these opening segments, we also incorporated the roles and relationships of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and their relation to the triune God. As we explored the question, why does it matter that we understand the nature of God and seek to defend our belief in the doctrine of the Trinity? Last time, friends, in part five, we transitioned to begin exploring the nature of man. In other words, mankind, examining the human condition, if you will. Our title last time was Sin. What's the big deal anyway? We might even pose a similar question, such as, why does it matter that we understand the nature of man and seek to defend our belief in the doctrine of sin? Well, today in Part 6, we'll continue that path for just a bit and conclude this fundamental understanding of the subject of sin. Today's title is Sin and the Solution, The Big Deal Revisited. And Before we begin, I'd just like to quickly remind you that all podcasts of A Word from the Word can be found at faithtalk1360.com under Local Program Podcasts. Also, friends, A Word from the Word is now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. Well, I'd like to begin with the late Brother Andrew recounting his earlier days when he served in the Dutch Army in Indonesia in the late 1940s. This account is recorded in the opening chapters of his book, God's Smuggler. While Andy, that's what he was called back then, was stationed there in the army barracks, he just happened to come upon a young monkey. He took it in, befriended it, and treated it like it was his own pet. After two weeks or so, Andy noticed that whenever he touched this newfound pet around the waistline, it would recoil as if experiencing great pain so he decided to examine the young monkey more closely and discovered a raised welt that went completely around its body. Curious about this, he laid the monkey down on his bed, gently pulled back the matted hair from the welt, and then realized what was causing the problem. Andy surmised that when the monkey was a baby, someone must have took a piece of wire and tied it around its middle and never removed it. Ouch, right? Because as the monkey grew, the wire became embedded in its flesh, and he could see that this piece of wire caused the monkey great pain and discomfort. Well, that very night, Andy began a delicate operation, first taking his razor and shaving off the monkey's hair in a three-inch wide band around its middle, Then, as his fellow soldiers watched in amazement, he cut ever so gently into the tender flesh under it until it exposed the wire. The young monkey actually lay there, ever so still, and exhibited the most amazing patience. Even when Andy was obviously hurting him, the young monkey looked up with eyes that seemed to say, "'I understand.' Finally, Andy got down to the wire, no pun intended. He cut it and gently pulled it away. Instantly, as soon as he was finished, the monkey jumped up, did a cartwheel, danced around Andy's shoulders, and pulled his hair in joyful glee to the delight of all the soldiers who were looking on. Well, friends, in recounting this event... The now-brother Andrew explained, "'After that my monkey and I were inseparable. "'I think I identified with him as strongly as he with me. "'I think I saw in the wire that had bound him "'a kind of parallel to the chain of guilt "'still tightly wrapped around me. "'And in the monkey's release "'I saw the thing that I longed for as well.' Wow! A spiritual light bulb went off in his head. Andy, who was later to become known as Brother Andrew, couldn't have said it better, could he? Friends, let me just recap the result of Brother Andrew's thoughts. He saw in the wire that had bound the young monkey a parallel to the chain of guilt still wound tightly around him, and in the monkey's release... He saw the very release he himself longed for. And he longed for release from the chain of guilt wrapped tightly around him because of the bondage sin had put him in. Friends, we mentioned last time that one of the roles or ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, according to Jesus' statement in John chapter 16. So, Andy had a personal awakening thanks to the illumination of the Holy Spirit of his inner condition. The Holy Spirit helped his mind see a parallel between the monkey's anguish And his own. Well, a man who also had a personal and dramatic awakening to the solution to the human condition was the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, whose resume included being a Pharisee of Pharisees, and in regard to following the Mosaic Law, said he was faultless. If you'd like to read his complete resume, check out Philippians 3 4 through 6. His personal awakening and realization is partly included there because in verses 7 and 8 he concludes, But whatever was gained to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Messiah Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He actually considered them garbage. Well, friends, Paul's magnum opus, if you will, is the book of Romans. And there he, in greater detail, articulates this solution to the human condition and predicament of sin last time we read from Romans 5, and we'll return there, highlighting verses 8 through 12. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, and that simply means we've obtained right standing with and before God by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, and by the way, that's by our own choice, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've received reconciliation. Friends, I'd like to elaborate on a few key expressions here. First, God demonstrated his love. Notice God's underlying motive. God is compelled by love to save us. Second, since we have now been justified... Justified is an incredible term and concept. It pictures a court of law and being acquitted of guilt for a crime committed. It reinstates us to favored status or right standing with God. Third, this right standing is obtained by Jesus' blood. Behind the blood of Jesus stands the atonement, the shedding of Jesus' blood for us, that is, in our place, on our behalf. It refers to the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. In the, <coughs> excuse me, in theology, the term is vicarious. In other words, the vicarious atonement. Vicarious simply means substitute, or may even include replacement. Fourth, being saved from God's wrath. Friends, this term hints at propitiation. Remember the discussion we had last time. Well, to recap a bit, the governing principle behind propitiation is satisfaction. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross satisfied the demands of a holy God's justice or wrath. And finally, fifth, while we were God's enemies, this tips us off to the idea of reconciliation or reestablishing a friendship that was broken by sin. We were formerly enemies of God, but Jesus' death and shed blood paved the way for us to be reconciled back to God. Verse 12 nicely summarizes everything for us. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned this is reinforced by a previous statement by paul in chapter 3 23 through 25 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god this just means that all humans have missed god's target of righteousness because of our sins but all humans are justified freely by god's grace Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So, you see, friends, the big deal is the fact that sin first came into the world through Adam, our first parent, and then was passed on to all humanity. And the even bigger deal is that God, in his written revelation through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, unveils his great plan of salvation to rescue us all from the eternal consequences of our sins humanity's fall from innocency and perfection, appears in the opening pages of Genesis with these words, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, the phrase in Hebrew is actually, In dying, you will die. You see, friends, many people don't understand the Hebrew or biblical concept of death that resulted from sin. Biblical death is not merely cessation of existence or oblivion, meaning non-existence, as one aberrant religious group falsely believes and teaches. Biblical death is properly understood to be separation, There is physical separation at earthly death and spiritual separation at spiritual death. So this is the kicker. Sin resulted in both physical and spiritual death. Spiritual death translates to eternal death. And this is how we are to read and understand Genesis two sixteen and seventeen. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die the literal wording in the Hebrew languages, for when you eat from it, in dying you will die. So what's intended here is the idea that eating from this tree resulted in dying spiritually. In other words, being separated from God and that they will eventually and ultimately die physically. The point here is that Adam's disobedience and rebellion "...brought a twofold separation from God, physical separation and spiritual separation. Salvation then also becomes twofold. Salvation restores us spiritually by bringing us spiritual life, which translates into eternal life. And salvation ultimately restores us physically in that we have the promise of receiving a glorified body in eternity." This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:53 the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality Therefore, the solution to the sin problem or sin dilemma that brought this dual death was the plan of God instituted in Christ, who became sin on our behalf. In other words, became our substitute, our atonement, and propitiated or satisfied God's wrath and reconciled us or restored us to friendship with God. Amen. This is why, friends, Second Corinthians 5.21 is such an awesome truth. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be a sin offering for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And if these grand truths weren't enough... God added the fringe benefit of granting us the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, living and dwelling in us. Under the new covenant now, the Holy Spirit's work includes indwelling us at our salvation and then empowering us to live a life that pleases God by cleansing us from our sins and becoming and being our very own personal guide and teacher while here on earth. Two great statements that can be considered promises are, first, Paul's words in Romans 8, 4, which say, The righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And second, John's wonderful and comforting words in 1 John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all or every sin. This is why, friends, I can't stress enough the Trinitarian participation of the three co-equal, co-eternal, and simultaneously active members of the Godhead in the Salvation Plan, and why I'd like to recap three of the several points I made last time, which I refer to as the three A's of the Trinity – The first A is, God the Father had it in his heart to provide a way for the human race to be forgiven of our sin. God the Father therefore authored the plan of salvation. The second A is, God the Son, Jesus, while fully God, agreed to the Father's plan as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, Jesus Christ accomplished the plan of salvation and the third a is god the holy spirit just as much god as the father and the son is at work in the lives of those who have chosen to follow god the holy spirit applies the plan of salvation to believers lives he also applies the plan of salvation to those who first receive and believe in jesus As Christ followers, then, the premier question we must ask ourselves is just how does or how is the Holy Spirit applying the plan of salvation in our lives, in your life, in my life? And friends, what I'm about to share in the next several minutes, I don't want to sound like I'm just parroting a formula. Every advancement we make as Christ followers in our walk with the Lord is made because we are walking or living in the Spirit. And even walking or living in the Spirit must have as its foundation loving God with all our heart, mind soul and strength it's to the humbled and surrendered heart that the holy spirit becomes our guide our comforter our support and our sanctifier you see friends we can't continue to straddle the fence between the world's ways and the kingdom of god's ways and expect that we'll experience joy in being a christian and be led by the holy spirit to the fuller experiences he desires us to have will remain in that yo-yo state or like a ping pong ball be tossed back and forth by the worldly waves and blown here there every wind of teaching and will stagnate spiritually and not progress to maturity in Christ as God desires according to Ephesians four, twelve, and 13. The Apostle Paul's counsel in Ephesians 4 is critical here. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And this is a kind way of saying we must no longer live like pagans. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. During his three-year ministry on earth, Jesus taught his disciples more than once that to love him meant that they sought to keep his commands. The Gospel of John chapters 14 through 17 are worth combing through, for they add spiritual fuel for understanding what it means to really follow Jesus and be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Just a few places will provide a healthy sampling of Jesus jesus's instructions to us john fourteen fifteen through 17 if you love me keep my commands and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth John 14:23 through 25 Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John fifteen one through five and nine through ten, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You are my friends if you do what I command. John 16:12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, friends, I suspect you're getting a little nervous and thinking that Jesus' teachings in the above passages sound a little legalistic. You know, all this stuff about obeying commands, remaining in him, and the proof of our love being evidenced by our following his commands— And we're only his friends if we do what he commands, etc., etc., and so forth. Well, did you happen to notice that love is inserted into the equation? Jesus slips it in several places. We're not careful. We'll steamroll right over them. They're there for a good reason. In fact, I contend that they're there just so we won't think that Jesus is coming off as a legalist. And interesting enough all occurrences of love in these few verses is the word agape the highest form of love the New Testament writers knew to explain God's love for us and our love for him and our brothers and sisters in Christ and for everyone else in the world. Friends, it's time we get off this kick that the normal Christian life is characterized by Romans chapter 7 and start realizing that the normal Christian life is characterized by romans chapters 6 and 8 because according to romans 8 2 through christ jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death and 8 4 the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit amen amen well I see we're at the end of our program. I hope these two studies have helped us better understand some fundamentals the Bible reveals about sin. Sin has become the politically incorrect subject these days. It seems it's even politically incorrect to discuss it in the churches. Friends, let's be students of God's word and rightly divide it. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word support team. Ask me for the details. Thanks to you who help keep this program on the air. And thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a Word from the Word.
0: Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him. At a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.